Amen. The scripture reading for our sermon this morning comes from Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, good morning, Risen. It's Rich here, and it's good to see all of you again. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Thank you to all the mothers out there in the world that uh, has given birth to every single human being alive right now. And so thank you uh, for that work. And it's good to see everyone in chat and say hi again. It's good to be together, uh, to be reminded that we are not in this crisis alone, um, and also to worship together, to come to God together, to be strengthened together as one church and one family. Uh, we're on the tail end of wrapping up our sermon series, uh, Facing Our Fears in Times of Uncertainty. And each week we've been going through a specific topic that speaks into our experience right now. We've, we've gone over themes like anxiety and suffering, uh, grace and truth in our relationships as we're confined and, and, and um, tw- you know, 24-7 with our family members. Um, Everyone is stressed out, you know, even in our workplaces. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about hope. And if you missed any of those sermons, you can feel free to listen to that um, on our website. Uh, Today's theme is peace. Uh, We're going to talk about what the Bible says in regard to peace. And so here are our three points. First, a broken peace. And then two, Jesus, the peacemaker, and then lastly, three, a kingdom of peacemakers. So those are our three points, and uh, let's get right into it. So first, a broken peace. You know, if if you take a look around right now in the world, uh, you'll see a tremendous void of peace, Uh, whether it's the international relations between U.S. and China, you know, U.S. politics, uh, the racial tension here uh, in our country, all you need to do is look at the cover of any newspaper and you'll see uh, the anger, you'll see the conflict, you'll see the pain and how everyone is coping with it, the grief, and you'll see the division. You know, with the coronavirus, uh, the question is, is who is to blame? Is it China Uh, Is it the administration? And I'm not going to into that, but I can see both sides. And there's also news how Asian Americans are getting attacked and and being blamed for the coronavirus. Uh, People see uh, Asians and they project their anger over the coronavirus and, and how it came from China onto Asians. You know, on March 14th in Texas, three Asian American family members, including one two-year-old and one six-year-old, were stabbed. An employee intervened, and he got the assailant in a chokehold and and disarmed him, but he was also cut deeply several times in the leg and several times in the hand. Uh, The FBI investigated, and they, they declared it a hate crime. And this past week, a disturbing video was released of a 26-year-old African-American man named Ahmaud Aubrey, who was going out for a run in the middle of the day. Uh, he was shot 
He was killed in his neighborhood because the shooters thought he looked like the suspect of a crime. And so right now, there is tremendous pain in our country, and, and this, is, this is personal pain, too. On Mother's Day, nonetheless, there's anger. You know, whether it's even just loss, let's not forget, from people who have lost loved ones from the coronavirus, people who've lost their jobs during this time, uh, Asian Americans experiencing a misappropriation of blame, and our African-American brothers and sisters who are being racially profiled that has led to injustice and loss and anger and pain and fear. And so right now, our peace is broken. You know, many times we can go away into our, uh, you know, monocultural neighborhood. We could talk with our uh, monocultural friends and we can find a sort of superficial uh, peace but when it comes down to it, what hope do we have for peace right now? Uh, what does it look like? And who can lead us there? This brings us to the second point, Jesus, the peacemaker. So let's first talk about the sufferings of Jesus. Jesus knows what it feels like to live in a world like ours. Um, in Matthew chapter 2, we're told that right after Jesus was born, uh, his family fled to Egypt because it got out that Jesus was the future heir to the kingdom of Israel and Herod at that time was insecure, he was paranoid, he was power hungry and he didn't, he didn't want to, to give up his throne so he was massacring every male child who was below two years old um, to snuff this future heir out, to, to snuff, this, snuff this future king out. And so Jesus and his family fled to Egypt. They were immigrants in Egypt. They were refugees in Egypt. And secondly, Jesus was ethnically a Jew, of course. Um, he is actually ethnically a Jew because he's in heaven right now, still alive, reigning. And his people experienced slavery in Egypt. And then they experienced uh, invasion exile and captivity from Babylon. And then during his time, him and his people experienced colonization from Rome. So Jesus has seen his people abused and oppressed and even, even murdered without just cause. So Jesus was not only a refugee, but he was considered a lesser ethnicity to the Romans. He didn't have the same rights. His people didn't have the same rights that the Roman citizens did. He experienced racism. And I just want to make a short caveat here. You know, um, you know this is not uh, a political agenda. I'm not here uh, to, um, as a pastor on the pulpit, uh, God forbid, to talk about politics in a sense where I promote parties or promote candidates. I'm not here, you know, um, to hijack God and, and use him to support a specific party or candidate. God isn't a Republican. He's not a Democrat. This is not a public political agenda. You are free to vote your conscience and with your principles. Of course, if you're a Christian, those, those principles and that conscience is biblically informed, but we have to know this. The biblical teachings of Jesus can never be fully encapsulated by a specific perspective, a single political party, 
because that's why God has given us his word. The, the word of God, friends, is the church's constitution. You know, in John chapter 18, Jesus says this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to death, but my kingdom is not from the world. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, my kingdom, the church, is a complete separate entity from the state. And the church consists of my followers who are doing their best to uphold my teachings. And the state comprises of people um, from all different kinds of religious and personal and cultural upbringings and beliefs. If we take a careful look at the scriptures, friends, uh, what his views were from all sorts of different political parties. Of course, Jesus had his values and not everyone agreed with him. And throughout the Bible, you see God's people intermingling and working in the state alongside people who were different from them. They didn't Bible thump in this common square. They used their, their reason, uh, their integrity, their goodwill, their friendship, their principles and values. People like Joseph and Daniel and Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah, they had their biblical convictions, but they found common ground and other ways to persuade and convince their leaders. And we'll probably do another sermon series on, on Jesus and politics. I'm sure some of you are thinking that's awesome. Some of you guys are thinking what? But today's sermon is, is really about pursuing peace during this specific time right now, especially as, as racial tensions and racial emotions are high. And so in the midst of this turmoil and chaos and anger and pain, how, how is the church to respond? How do we see Jesus respond? And how do we, as his children, follow in suit as peacemakers? And how can we um, not only receive God's blessing, but what is the Abrahamic promise, friends, in order to be a blessing to others? Now, Jesus, of course, intimately knows the injustice that is taking place in, this, in his world and in our world. And into this reality, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, it would be a, a mistake to assume Jesus' words here as an attempt to do away with any necessary work to bring justice to people, Right? Uh, the Bible teaches that peace pursues forgiveness, but it also pursues justice. And rather than sort of, you know, quoting a bunch of Bible verses and making this argument, I want to I I show this by way of example. Um, Heal Us, Emmanuel is a book written by pastors uh, in our denomination. Um, it's a book compiled by uh, black pastors, by white pastors, by Asian pastors, by Hispanic pastors, by European pastors. And it's a multi-ethnic, cross-cultural, intercontinental uh, effort to address racial reconciliation and ethnic unity. It's a book that shares the wisdom of, of many who have come before us. I highly recommend it to you. It's called Heal Us, Emmanuel. You can find it on Amazon. And, and one contributor, uh, his name is Howard Brown. He's an African-American pastor and he writes about the hate crime that took place in 2015 
at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where nine African Americans were killed by 21-year-old Dylan Roof. And, you know, right now we're still waiting uh, for the Ahmaud Aubrey case, but um, the families of the victims of, of the Mother Emanuel victims gives us a shocking display of peace and how forgiveness and justice uh, intermingle into this biblical um, perspective that is ultimately given to us by Jesus. And, and um, during the court case, the families of this, this, these victims, they, they return this act of br brutality um, with a beautiful message. Each one of them stood up. They communicated their pain to Dylan Roof. But then they, they extended their forgiveness and, and even the opportunity for Dylan Roof to come to Jesus for their sins. Uh, it's, it's extraordinary. They made it clear that they did not want to stand in the way between God and his mercy. And like Joseph, they communicated that what even Dylan meant for evil, God meant for good, that God was going to bring good out of this. And I just want to read a quote from you from his book. This is what he says. Because Jesus, their Savior, did not stand in the way as the offended Lord between us and God, but actually became the way to reconciliation with God, the families and their forgiveness and sincere union to God refused to stand in the way and instead show the path to reconciliation for Dylan Roof. Their sufferings, like Jesus' own sufferings, became a bridge of forgiveness and even eternal life. But how? There is no good reason for this kind of forgiveness apart from the fact that Jesus has brought them peace love and hope in the midst of a toilsome and dangerous world. This kind of forgiveness requires the presence of a Savior who first came to us, enemies of God. Jesus, by his sacrifice, reconciled us to God and to one another. To some, this was an inappropriate message of forgiveness, but blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And and this is just mind-blowing, you know. Some of us can't even do this when, you know, uh, we have micro-conflicts with our family members. But here is um, a bunch of families who's just suffered a tremendous injustice and, and their faith exemplifies what peace looks like in a toilsome and imperfect and dangerous world. But Howard Brown also mentions how just because uh, there is forgiveness, this doesn't mean that there are no just consequences. The state has to make wise and fair laws to ensure that justice is served. There can't be chaos, right? There can't be disorder. Uh, there can't be injustice. And so this is what he says in regard to justice. Forgiveness doesn't mean justice on earth for the death of their loved ones is not something to rightly expect. 
but they have put justice in the hands of God who will carry them through and give comfort in any disappointment they face. They know and trust that there is a judge, a judge who no one will escape. The mourning, the anger, the rage, the desire for justice in what happened is right and even holy. But they walk, live, and will be kept by the peace of a sovereign God who has accomplished eternal justice through Jesus Christ, the sacrificial Lamb of God. So friends, here we see an example um, how we can pursue peace through forgiveness and pursuing justice. And, and unfortunately, man, we live in a world where sometimes justice is not served. Uh, but we have hope that there is a God, there is a judge who no one will escape. But if you place your faith in Jesus, in Jesus' death, for your sins, justice has been served. For sinners like you and me, and, and, and scandalously, scan, scandalously for sinners even like Dylan Roof, right? There is forgiveness, there is peace, and justice in Jesus. Now this brings us to our last point, a kingdom of peacemakers. You know, that's just one of the many extraordinary ways of how a group of people apply Jesus' words, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. But, but, but about, what about for the rest of us? What about for those who may not be affected in that way? Um, you know, I've been chatting with a friend of mine uh, since that video came out, and um, he's black, and he's a Christian, and he's in the ministry, and, and he shared his thoughts with me. You know, I asked him, hey, what are some things that our church uh, can be mindful of and, and how we can pray, uh, you know, for for this and for the black community. And I want to sum them up in three applications. These are sort of the, the sort of the three categories he shared. And, and the first one is empathy, okay? You know, one of the compounding effects of injustice is the lack of empathy and understanding of the wrong that took place. Right, a dismissiveness, um, ignoring the outcries of injustice, of, of the pain that just happened. Because empathy is the ability to leave our state of comfort and our own assumptions and our own... You know, growing up, Jesus probably didn't have many non-Jewish friends. Um, not, not only because he... You know, his, his upbringing was highly ethnocentric, but also because uh, non-Jewish people probably didn't want to be his friend anyways. But in his ministry, in John chapter 4, you know, Jesus and his disciples are traveling to different towns to preach the gospel and to share the good news. And in John chapter 4, Jesus is leaving Judea, right, southern Israel, and he's going to Galilee. He's going to northern Israel, and right smack dab in the middle is a town called Samaria. And typically, Israelites would go around Samaria because, you see, just to go a little bit, a little bit of background, uh, Samaria was a town uh, where Assyrians came and conquered northern Israel in 720 B.C. They settled down in Samaria, and so they intermingled and, and intermarried with uh, the, uh, the Jewish people there. And so um, full-blood full Israelites considered Samaritans 
as sort of these half-breed Jews and lesser Jews. And so they walked around Samaria uh, because they felt that they believed that they were unclean and lesser than them. But here is Jesus, and he goes straight through Samaria. In John chapter 4, this is what it says. Jesus came to pass through Samaria, and he was tired and thirsty from his journey, so he sat beside a well there. And a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then this is the postscript that John writes, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So we see Jesus here going out of his way to befriend people who are not like him, his enemies, and they consider him their enemy. He's going to converse with them, and later if you read John chapter 4, he's listening to this woman, he is empathizing with her. So friends, first and foremost, I know that growing up, you know, we're usually surrounded by people who are most like us. Um, that's just human nature. Uh, people are more comfortable around, around people who, who look like them, talk like them, and are culturally similar to them. But we see in Jesus' example here that he doesn't make any excuses, and he goes out of his way. He intentionally goes to make peace with Samaria, with the Samaritan woman. And that's what peace requires. It requires a conviction. It requires an obedience to God's word. And it ultimately requires courage because even the Samaritan woman is surprised at what he's doing. I'm sure the Samaritan town is wondering what he's doing. His disciples are shocked what he's doing. But that doesn't stop Jesus. So friends, we need to get out of our comfort zone and we need to not go around Samaria. We need to go through it. We need to befriend people who are not ethnically like us. We need to listen to them. We need to converse with them. We need to befriend them. But secondly, Jesus doesn't just identify with and befriend and empathize with those who are different from him. He advocates for them, right? Uh, the second category my friend mentioned to me is, hey, you know, not only understand and hear us and, and befriend us, but we need advocates. You see, in Acts chapter 6, uh, the early church had put together organized relief for widows uh, because back then they didn't have, you know, um, life insurance. There wasn't retirement plans. Um, you depended upon your children. Um, but in Acts chapter 6, we see that the church had organized a relief fund for widows, but there was a flaw in the system. The Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked, right? And they were being discriminated against. But as the leaders during that time, the 12 disciples you know, they didn't make any excuses and they addressed the problem at once. They didn't say it was a big deal and that it was just a slight oversight. Uh, they didn't deflect or, or blame shift. They didn't say, well, look at what we're doing already. No, they picked out seven individuals who were known for their integrity and character to make sure that this didn't happen again. These seven individuals, if you go to Acts chapter 6, were uh, known to be wise men who had tremendous faith and were full of the Spirit. Right? They weren't just kind and compassionate. They were also bold and cor courageous. They weren't uh, too ha hard, but they also weren't too soft. 
And, and we see in verse 7, because of this righteous act, it reads this, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many became obedient to the faith. You see, church, because of the advocacy of the church for those who are being oppressed, for those who are being discriminated against, the, the word of God increased. People were encouraged inside and outside. People saw this and said, this is, this is remarkable. I want to be a part of this. This is how the world is supposed to be. And so we can't just voice our cries of injustice when our own ethnicities are being attacked. We have to mourn with and speak up and stand up for and with and support other races besides our own. That's what pre true peace is. It's not just looking out for one's own ethnicity. That's a power play in the guise of peace. People just, people just snuff that out. Peacemaking is selfless. It's not self-seeking. The last thing my friend communicated to me, uh, he knew uh, that if sometimes you speak out on these issues, um, you will run into some conflict from, um, from those that don't want you to ruffle the status quo, the existing state of affairs. Um, they won't want to hear uh, this critique on culture or society. So lastly, peacemaking is sacrificial. You know, the March 14th stabbing of these three Asian Americans, um, if it wasn't for this, this man named Zach Owen, the employee who intervened, this entire family would have been butchered. And, you know, Zach wasn't Asian. He didn't step in because, you know, he wanted to protect his own people. He was white. Uh, he stepped in that moment because he valued the lives of that family more than his own. It's, it's absolutely heroic. Just, just Google it, and you'll see um, like his, his, the video of his hands, and like there's stitches all over. He literally grabbed the knife um, and cut up his entire hand uh, so that, he, that this family could be spared. It's amazing. But friends, that is the gospel. Sin is this enemy, this force, and this power that wants to take you down. And you have no hope besides Jesus who st stands in between you and sin, who stands in the way, who values your life more than his own, and lets sin the stab and the cut of sin, take him down instead. That's the gospel. And because of that, we are, one, freed from the power of sin and the power of Jesus' Holy Spirit lives in us and works in us and gives life to our hearts right now and softens our pain and anger and brokenness and, and wickedness and gives us hope. And two, in Jesus, we are forgiven and we have peace with God now and for all of eternity. 
There is no judgment. There is no condemnation, but complete peace with God because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we are saved from sin. The power, the effect, the end result, the condemnation, the judgment, the shame, and the guilt that we all experience and will experience in the presence of God. Jesus is the perfect empathizer. Jesus is the righteous advocate. And Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, friends. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So friends, I know that like me, you are looking for peace. (sighs) Jesus brings the real peace we all need. Take it. It's yours. Be blessed. And now go live it out. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, um, this past week we were hit with some heavy news. But sadly, this isn't new news. It's been something that has been occurring for a long time. And forgive us for for not getting angry with our black brothers and sisters. Forgive us for retreating into our superficial peace. And we pray for Ahmad's mother on this day who does not have the privilege to hear Happy Mother's Day from her son. And we ask that you would comfort her not with vengeance or revenge, but you would comfort her not only with the gospel, but an entire community of peacemakers that will reach out to her, that will stand up for her and with her, that will advocate for her, and consider her family more valuable than our own. And there are so many more people who are experiencing these kinds of injustices. And Father, would you embolden our world to recognize injustice when we see it and to pursue justice and forgiveness. Justice without forgiveness is vengeance. Forgiveness without justice is injustice. And would you embolden our churches to be reminded once again why you came on earth, not only to save us personally from our sins, not only to give us peace with you individually, but to give us peace with each other 
and to accomplish that through our witness. Father, every day we are learning what it means to be human. Every day we are learning what it means to be Christian. We are learning what it means to be a church. Today we are learning what it means to be a peacemaker. Today we are learning what it means to empathize, what it means to advocate, what it means to be sacrificial. So Father, help us to comfort one another. Help us not to generalize a specific ethnicity, for there are tremendously good people out there from every ethnicity doing good work. Father, we need your spirit to soften our world and to soften our hearts. So give us peace now and remind us that amazing peace we have with you and convict us and inspire us and embolden us. Give us courage to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.